and hello. On this wintry day, we have another episode of Security Circle, the IFPOD production for IFPO, the International Foundation for Protection Officers. Ash and I will be joining a very special guest today. They're all very special, really, but some more special than others. This gentleman has been awarded the International Security Journal Most Influential Person for 2022. We want to hear all about that. He is also the Executive Director of the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. I think you've guessed already. He has created an alumni of risk professionals around the world. Welcome, Dr. David Rubens. Yo, yo, thank you very much. And Ash as well. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for that. Awesome. So listen, I'm just going to kick off. I've known you for a while. It's like having a chat with friends. And I know Ash has got a coffee too. I hope you have. But look, security seems to be something that just sticks to you like glue. Why is that? Tell us where you got involved with all of this. It goes back a long way. Um, um, I did my first job um, in 1981. So that's 40 years ago. Um, and I was I was team leader on the security embassy in Munich, the Israeli security embassy team in Munich, at the time when both the Israeli and the Jewish communities were under pretty serious attack, both from the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was doing bombing operations all over Europe, and the neo-Nazis in Germany who were quite active. I was picked up and I was asked to, to do some stuff over there, which I did. I was trained by the Alal teams at the time, which were the best in the world then, still are, in my opinion. I, I was an adventurer. I'd left home when I was 17, just before my A-levels, as they were then. Travelled around the world, did a whole lot of stuff, came back in 1991, so that's 15 years later. Um, but what happened was, was my dad died, basically, in 1991, January 1991. I was in America, came back over here. Um, and I started a small Aikido dojo because I'd, I'd been doing Aikido for five years in Japan quite seriously. And I heard something on the radio, on, on, on London Radio, 94.9, Charm School for Bouncers. Westminster Council was going to do Charm School for Bouncers. And I thought, that's interesting. I thought, I could do that. So I got in touch with them, and they got in touch with me, and they said, well, listen, write us a two-day program. We'll have a look at it. So I went down to have a look at a couple of people who were doing door supervisor training. And I thought, they're rubbish. I thought, if these people are making money, I've got to be with a chance because they're rubbish, and they don't know what they're doing. Um, and then what they basically do was telling war stories. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but in six months, I probably will. And that's how it started, Yo-Yo. So in October 1992, Westminster Council published their first list of door supervisor accredited trainers. And I was on that, I was on that list, Mado Limited. And that's how it started. And I always thought, because of the background I'd had, that it's worth doing properly. You can do this properly. You can do this seriously um, with, 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 with integrity, but also with structure and with framework. You know, there's a professionalism about, about it. And I've been very lucky. So since 1992, which is now 30 years ago, I've basically ridden the wave. I've either been on the first wave, sometimes the second wave of trying to create what we call a professional security industry. Um, and that's how it really started. And I've always, people have always said about me, you know, you had this passion right from the beginning. When I was running door supervisor programs, they said, you had this real passion. And I didn't like that. I didn't, th I thought it was unprofessional. I thought, I thought I want to be considered as professional rather than, 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 than passionate. But I still have it. I mean, as you can see, I still have it. I still believe it. I do a huge amount of training. I love I love training. I, li I like training. I like being trained and I like training other people. But but this is what I bring to the game. This is who I am and this is what I bring to the game. So touching on that, um, 
David, so you, you mentioned you spent lots of time in, in America, Israel, um, Japan and, and Germany as well. And you've been dealing with people from all across the world. Yeah. How does the UK differ from those other countries in terms of strategic risk and crisis management? The thing about it, Ash, is that when you go anywhere as a tourist, it looks nice, doesn't it? You know, everywhere yeah. looks nice as a tourist. And then when you look into it and you think, this is lovely, and then you move in and you go, mate, they've got exactly the same problems as we have. I think, I think we have, I think the world has many problems, but I think that in the UK, we are particularly bad at strategic risk and crisis management. I just think we are. And you look at things like COVID, for example, or our inability to build airports or railways or to look after the NHS. All of those stories of, of basically decline, those are yeah. not inevitable, but that's because we don't do management very well. And I think we do not do management very well in this country. And that's including in security risk management, but in general. And the reason is we do not respect management. We put in people because they've been to the right school or the right regiment or the right university or the right club or wear the right tie or speak with the right tone of voice. And we do not respect management. And you see people sort of, you know, the, the O2 center or, or, or uh, G4S, for example, with, with the 2012 Olympics as examples or COVID. These, 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 or, or the NHS, you know, the, the fact that we're now going through all these strikes now this week, in my opinion, that is bad management. That, that should not have happened and that should have been seen. And that's a bad thing to happen. And therefore, it's a management failure. But and David, think- isn't isn't all crisis, isn't all crisis down to there being a significant failure somewhere in the organisational businesses processes and procedures that leads to a crisis not being managed very well? Would you? I mean, I've attended one of your courses. Brilliant, by the way. And it's just nice to be with you for a week, David, to be honest. But <laughs> is 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 it just simply, you know, that businesses haven't got things right and that's why they don't respond to crises very well? As they would say in Japanese, arute made, up to a point. Everything's up to a point, isn't it? Um, so, so the answer, of course, is yes, you shouldn't have crisis. And, and most crises, you know, we think that crises are sudden and unexpected. And most crises are not sudden and unexpected. You know, they are those that noise you hear in your car or that, tooth, that pain you have in your tooth or, you know, or, or that leak in your roof, which you ignore completely. But nevertheless, there is still um, an understanding sort of some sort of capability. Crisis management is not magic and it's not voodoo. It is process management. And if you look at, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but one of the words that, that is now sort of the word de nos jours is um, resilience. Okay, resilience, that's it, resilience. But resilience is not something that happens after an event occurs. You don't become resilient after an event occurs. You have to prepare yourself to become resilient. You have to pay ahead. You have to prepare ahead, like go to the gym. You don't get fit the day before the match. You have to go to the gym. And if you look at the, uh, for example, the James Abbasnet report from the House of Lords on on the, the preparedness or otherwise of the UK for a major crisis event. Mm. And he was doing a review of COVID and he said, we were just not as good as we thought we were. We thought we were good. We thought we were ready. And when we were tested, we were not ready and we should have been. And if you look at the reasons for failures, they're exactly the same every time. You know, you, I mean, you've done a course with me. Um, you know, you've done courses with me. I mean, the, one of the things I say is each, each crisis is a unique event. But the reasons for it being a, a, a crisis are the same every time. You know, they just they just do not do their job properly. They do not do the thing they're paid for. And yeah. you know, anybody who's heard me speak knows that within a few minutes, I'll talk about wicked problems and and Ritalin Weber nineteen seventy three paper on wicked problems. 
but the tenth the tenth principle of wicked problems. The first nine are very technical, but the tenth principle of wicked problems is the planner does not have the right to be wrong. If you say you can do this stuff, you have to get it right because getting it wrong has consequences. And we saw that with 186,000 deaths of COVID. And we've seen that in the strikes that are going on, which are impacting on people's lives incredibly. It is not a good thing. And so many things. I think this in this country, we have we do have a problem with risk and crisis, strategic risk and crisis management. We don't give it the respect that it, that it deserves or merits. That's my, that's my feeling. So touching on, you mentioned COVID as well and the O2 Academy. So what can the security industry do better to prevent such incidents like um, the O2 uh, crushing and the Manchester Arena and like you mentioned with COVID as well? So what could the industry do better? Well, the first thing is you should learn lessons because all of these things are out in the open. These are not secret or esoteric. This, this is not MBA or stuff. This is, you know, this, this is not rocket science. This is basic process management. And you, you look at things like, you know, the, the, the British Airways, you know, IT failure. Or there's just right now, um, I think it's, um, and I'm going to say it's UBS, I think was the, the, the bank that's just, you know, there's a report out on the on the failures of its IT system. And it tried to it move a, it moves its system across to a Spanish system. It didn't work and they had a massive collapse. You look at the post office, not the post office strikes now, but the post office uh, postmasters, you know, crisis back 10, 12, 15 years ago, when the post office put in a new computer system which didn't work and then accused, you know, people working in the post office of stealing and those people were sent to jail and they were made bankrupt and some committed suicide, some died. And you look at the failures in, for example, the neonatal systems and, you know, children dying, babies dying. Learn lessons. The first thing is, the first thing is, Ash, if you said what is the first thing you have to accept the responsibility of risk management. If that's what you are doing, you have to accept the responsibility of the package yeah. that comes with that. Because walking away with a bonus or walking away and saying, sorry, that doesn't help, doesn't, doesn't help people. Getting it wrong has consequences. And that's it. You know, that's, and, and that's why you've got to get it right. And that's why I think I am passionate about it. Because I, I say to people, you know, doing security is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way to spend your life. Until the first time you pull out a dead body. Mm. Like there was in Brixton, for example, in a terrible crash. That did not have to happen. It did not have to happen. And the first time you pull out a dead body, it changes you forever. It leaves a scar on your soul which you never lose, ever. Yeah. And most of the time, the reason you're putting out a dead body is because somebody was not doing the job that they should have done. If there's one thing that came out of the Saunders report into and the Coast State report, but the Saunders report into into Manchester Arena bombing, that did not have to happen. There, in other universes, there are other narratives where that did not have to happen. And in order to stop that happening, you don't need the SAS or Spetsnaz or MI6. You need basic security procedures in place that are maintained and managed effectively over time. And that would then have, in some way, deflected that attack and those 22 people would not have died. So David, look, I, I guess really you have made a business on there being so many crises around the world and um, people's inability to be able to manage them properly. You provide excellent advice. We did really get you here to talk about your new book. We know you're a published author already. Tell us about your new book and why is it going to be a critical tool for a security risk professional to have? 
Well, thank you for that, Yo-Yo. Much, much appreciated. Um, yes, so um, Strategic Risk in Crisis Management, a handbook for modelling and managing complex risks. I think the reason it was, and the reason I set up the ISRM, I did my, I did my, I finished my doctorate in 2015 in strategic risk and crisis management of hyper-complex crisis environments. And it became absolutely clear to me that the vast majority of people, I mean, 99.99% of people talking about strategic risk management, and that's government agencies and the World Health Organization and Deloitte and KPMG and whoever it might be, don't understand strategic risk management. They're talking about um, enhanced tactical risk management because what, that's what they do. And then they do it bigger and that's fine, but that's not strategic. And so I, I started the ISRM and as, as you mentioned, that sort of you know found a very nice place for itself in the global market. But my feeling is that the vast majority of people who are looking after strategic risk and crisis management have not been given the tools to do so. They are the equivalent of people who can build a 60 meter bridge, engineers who can build a 60 meter bridge and are brilliant at building a 60 meter bridge, which is a serious piece of engineering. But you can't ask that engineer to build a three kilometer bridge across the bay. That's a different piece of engineering. And what people have been doing is they, they're good security and risk managers and they'll be asking to, being asked to do strategic risk and crisis management. And that's not the same thing. You have to be, you have to understand the tools of the trade to do that. Just like if you can build a house, you can't build a 20 story tower block. It's different. And one of the things that's been missing, in my opinion, is that the vast majority of people who are doing those, being given those tasks, and trying to take on those responsibilities have no awareness or familiarity with the unbelievably rich work, academic work that's been done, done around strategic risk and crisis management. And, the, and I think there's a Chinese phrase, so there's a Chinese phrase, a dog snapping at flies. You know, a dog sort of chasing flies, it has no strategy, it has no tactics, it has no shape, it just runs after flies, and of course, it doesn't catch any flies. But if you look at people trying to do strategic risk and crisis management, they're basically responding to yesterday's yesterday's headlines you know there's no strategy there's no form to it and my feeling is that if they knew more about and had a familiarity with the academic work around strategic and crisis management which has been going on for 50 years i mean you know if you if you write or research strategic risk and crisis management right now today the foundational work was done in the 1970s and some of that before that and it's still relevant but if you do have an understanding of familiarity with academic work it doesn't solve your problems but what it does do, it gives you structure and framework. It gives you a framework to discuss complex issues. And once you have that structured framework, you can then start building from there. So, um, so, and, and, and I felt that I had something to say. I felt there was something, I had something to say um, that was not being looked after in the market. There are very, very technical academic papers and, and books, which are brilliant, but have almost no use and value in the, in the real world. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think they would be accessible to practitioners. You also have those fantastic uh, leadership books. And, and I always talk about Stan McChrystal's books. I like them. And I like Stan. I know him quite well. And I like Stan very much. Um, and those are brilliant. Those are really good and really valuable. But they're basically story storytelling, in my opinion. And, and they don't have that much. They, 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 will, they will have a big guide, but they don't have the structured methodology that an academic perspective brings. So as 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 you know, you know, you know, when I describe myself, I, I talk of myself as a pracademic. You know, I'm a practitioner who has has the academic background as well, or an academic who has a practitioner background, whichever way. And I felt that the book had something of value to bring to the market, and I hope it does. So with all the work you've done for your book and you know the, the experience that you've had within the industry over all the years, what good changes have you seen? And do you think there's still room for improvement? 
I think the second part, let's go to the second part but first. Yes, I do think there's room for improvement. As we will not be a surprise to you or anybody else. Um, I think there's, what, what I have seen, I, there's, there's been, it's a dichotomy, it's split into two parts. At the top end of the strategic risk crisis or security risk management, we have seen the professionalization of this sector in a way that was impossible to conceive of 30 years ago. The idea that your standard, standard risk manager now in the police or the fire service or in or you know or, or working in the local council would have a master's degree. That was unthinkable. That was unthinkable. So what we've seen now is we have genuinely, absolutely seen the professionalization of the upper end of the security mismanagement sector. But if we look at the lower end of the security sector, we've seen zero. We've seen zero movement. Um, you know, it's still basically those those, those frontline security people are still basically on minimum pay, un, you know, doing 12 hours of shifts, un, 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 unrespected. Um, they're trying to do a good job. Um, you know, they're, 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 not, they're not appreciated. And people always ask me, well, if you do strategic risk and crisis management, why do you still talk about, you know, the people on £9 an hour, whatever it might be, £10 an hour, frontline people? It's because we talk about first responders. Those are the first responders. Those are the people, you know, those are the people who would have sorted out Manchester Arena. They actually, those were the people who were there when BA, you know, when terminal terminals go down at the airport. It's not the air crews that get involved. It's those it's their security people on, on nine pound fifty an hour who get get involved and do it. You know, when when there's an attack on the shard in London, it's the, it's those frontline people. Those are the people. The thing about security risk management is, once something goes wrong, it's personal, it's local, and it's now it's human. And we need to we need to invest in those people because they're a massive massive resource and they're a fantastic resource if we look at covid everything in this country closed down except for frontline security frontline security kept going and only kept going but shifted up a year yeah. but we had we, we we had to ask didn't we to be recognized as a frontline service and and that that was a in my opinion a huge mistake but look covid has affected all of us david in so many different ways we are running out of time we've got one last big question for you and i know that this is one that ash and i discussed we want you to predict what's going to happen in 2023 what is going to be the crisis that is going to be on the forefront isn't that mean of us are we being cruel what do you think is going to be uh at the top of the list of 2023 and then we're going to look to close up well well that that time has absolutely gone fast you're absolutely right um i think well first of all i think you can think again two in two parts the first thing is nobody knows i mean if anybody's if you say to anybody right what's the situation first of march 2023 nobody knows that's the first thing but in terms of the general trends i think we're going to see um some some large systemic technology failures um you know, i think we're going to see the bank system going down the internet going down um, um, and going down. So, so could we, could, what happens is if, if you want to see if there's a crisis coming towards you, there's three things you look at. You look at first um, frequency. What are the what are the signifiers of systemic failures or weaknesses? And you have you have sort of warning signals which are happening all the time. And we're seeing those more and more frequently. Now, you know, Google's losing control of itself. Facebook's losing control of itself. You know, bank, ATM machines, you know, go, systems go offline regularly. Second thing is amplitude. And you get sort of a big one, which just basically re, re, redefines the scope of it. And we're seeing really big failures. And the third thing is, uh, is, is time to recovery. It's just taking longer and longer to recover now. I think we're going to see some really serious um, systemic uh, technology failures. I also think we're going to see a, um, a, an attack. We're going to see a, a successful cyber attack 
somewhere which is going to take something down. And the third thing, um, I think that at some stage, and, and this has now probably gone back on the agenda because of, of COVID, but before COVID, I was predicting because of, of pollution and because of um, of hyper-urbanisation and, 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 and too, too much traffic, um, I said we, we were going to lose a city. We were actually going to lose a major city. You know, you're going to see something like Lagos. The traffic is there. And after three days, it still hasn't moved, you know, or Rome or Paris. Um, but my, my my two big ones right now are, um, are a technology failure and, and, and a serious attack. Well, um, good luck, everybody. Uh, with that, thank you so much, David. Look, at this point of the Security Circle podcast, Ash and I give a nod out to some of our key people in the network who are just doing a great job. I know that Ash has got one, but my nod is going to Satya Rai because we all know that she is a trailblazer in respect mm-hmm. of equality, diversity and inclusivity. And she's been recognised for her new role as director of ED&I and Welfare. So it's interesting as well, we have committed her to coming on to one of our podcasts. So expect that coming up hot off the press. Yep. Um, yeah, so my one's to Tim Mann. It's the ongoing work that he's been doing with the volunteer police cadets. And I did something with him uh, during IFSEC a few years back and it's really enjoyable. And it's good to see Tim and all the work he's doing with the volunteer police cadets carrying on. So, yeah. And anyone standing out for you, David? There's two, if I might. First of all, there's one, one in-house, and that's Danietta Fleming and Louisa Schneller, who I think you know, who basically run our Women in Security group. And they've done absolutely fantastic, that's fantastic work, brilliant work over the last year. And the other one is a friend of mine, Dr. Gabriel Schneider in Australia, who's put together a, co- a, a, a program called Resilience, which looks at all these things and says, OK, you know, instead of doing resilience as a reactive thing, resilience, how do we how do, we do what, what uh, Nisim Talib, Nicholas Nisim Talib called anti-fragility? And he's working on a programme called Brazilians, which we're sort of backing and supporting. And I think it's making a real difference, you know, in, in terms of, of how we conceptualise what we're trying to do. We've, you know, to go back, as to your point right at the beginning, we've yes. simply got to get better at this stuff. You know, we've got to get better. We, we cannot start, we cannot keep the level of basic incompetence that we have in place at the moment. Um, it, it's just, it's too wild out there. Um, we need to get better. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Well, listen, thank you so much. David it's been great hasn't it Ash I, it's been brilliant I, I could do this for another 20-30 minutes <laughs> well yeah I just feel yeah, like I, I feel I feel like you know David's time is very expensive we're very privileged to have you for free <laughs> yeah, I, I listen I, I keep saying I've been married for four for four, for 30 years got four kids in my house nobody listens to a damn word I say so, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm you know if, if people actually want to listen to me I'm always always happy to turn up you know that so thanks. It, and, you, know, you know let me tell you something but just say I mean the ISRM is going Yo, yo, you were there right at the beginning. I mean, I yep. think you were there right, right, right at the beginning. So thanks for that. And you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a great ride for the last few years, and I'm looking forward to the adventures that 2023 brings. Hey, listen, I'm always there. I, I'm one of the things that I believe in, certainly being with IFPO and on the ASIS, International Fiscal Security Steering Committee, cracky what a mouthful that is, but I believe in all of the memberships working together in harmony. And we have been able to achieve that, certainly through the EDI programs. And yeah, big shout out to Louisa, big shout out to Danietta, uh, smashing ladies. Certainly we're all um, singing on the same song sheet there. And David, thank you for everything you're doing. If you need me, if you need support of IFPO, just give us a shout uh we're there to work together uh for the better good certainly oh we're so idealistic aren't we how will we ever make the world a better place <laughs> we're far too step idealistic by, step by step and stage by stage day by day that's how we do it that's how we all do it step by thanks. step and day by day thank you david thank you so much for your time
My pleasure. All the best to you and to everybody listening and to IFPA. All the best. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Brilliant. And we're going to provide the link to David's new book as well on this podcast. And so don't hesitate. If you're you're on the line, just make sure you step in and, and, and definitely purchase it. 